I'm Denise. I'm the Scottish one. And she's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise, the English one. And she's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Editing Podcast. This week, we're thrilled to welcome John A. Connell, an author who's navigated the publishing world with a big name press and also with an independent author hat. That's right. So John's an American Barry Award nominated thriller writer who now lives in France. And if you haven't read his Mason Collins books and want a series to dig into, I urge you to check it out. My husband just finished Madness in the Ruins, the first book in the series, and he's he's quite a critical reader, actually. But he absolutely loved it. He came in and he said, that guy, that guy's up there with the the big name. So, <laughs> John, <laughs> can you first tell our listeners a little bit about your background? Because before you were a writer, you had some rather interesting jobs in L.A.'s inter- entertainment industry, didn't you? Yes, yes, I did. Actually, the background goes to I was in college and had an anthropology degree, but I always thought I'd be a music composer. Then I discovered... Okay. <laughs> That was not, uh, you know, while I was uh, relatively gifted, I didn't have that obsession with music. So Mm -hmm. I just bounced around for a number of years and loved storytelling and loved movies. And I thought, hey, I'll just get into the movie business, having no concept of what that means, how (laughs) uh, what field I'd go into. I had been piddling around with a camera, so I went into camera work and... uh, Worked up the ranks first in Atlanta, Georgia, and then I moved out to L.A. to get into the big time. So I did a, a series of uh, TV shows and bad films. Um, <laughs> I, I did Halloween 4. I did Nightmare on <laughs> Street Part 5. And... That was, those were the best. Those were the yeah, best. The yeah. camera work was amazing on those. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was the pride, pride, pride. <laughs> but then, then I became a camera operator and got into aerial um, photography. And at that time, there was still the giant movie cameras with 35 millimeter film. Yeah. So to do aerials and make it as smooth as possible, they had this giant rig on the outside enclosed in a ball with these gyroscopes that would keep the camera steady no matter what the helicopter was doing. So I oh did quite word. a few jobs that way, uh, including Jurassic Park, Thelma and Louise. Uh, for the Boys, which is a Bette Midler, uh, Prince of oh, Tides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then I graduated, I got out of that and, and started doing more TV. Um, right. And NYPD Blue was the last series I did before moving to France. Really? Wow. wow. Yeah. I used to love watching NYPD Blue. Yeah. It's amazing. It was, it defined TV from that moment on. Uh, yeah. The style was revolutionary at the time and um i loved it because the not only the the creator david milch was a a genius absolute writing genius i I thought he was amazing he did deadwood as well he was he did hill street blues um yeah and um so i loved to watch him work and um then the other producer was an uh an ex uh, new york detective new york city detective so he would spin all these stories to the actors, and I would just sit in the, the room and listen to him talk about the relationship between detective and criminal and all the things that go through their mind and, and silly anecdotes, funny anecdotes, uh, all sorts of things that I picked up um, 
to apply to my own book. So it was a, a that was a wonderful experience. Uh, oh, that's uh, amazing! Absolutely yeah. fascinating background yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so John, your writing journey um, all began with a publishing contract with Berkeley, which is part mm-hmm. of the Penguin USA Group. Could you tell us a little bit about your early writing and publishing journey and how that deal came about? Okay, well, I started writing, I was 40, and I kept saying, you know, I want to write. And somebody finally said, shut up, sit down, and write. And I <laughs> yeah, just do it. In, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was in the film business, so naturally a screenplay. Um, and I fell in love with writing immediately. Um, it was another historical thing. I, I seem to like historical thrillers. Um, and uh, I got some traction with it. Uh, even Spielberg's company was interested in it for a time and never did go anywhere. So I wrote a few more screenplays. That, that's interesting though, John, because just to sorry to butt in, but the one thing my husband my husband said was when he read um the the book your book recently was I could absolutely see that as a film. So that that screenwriting thing for you, that that kind of appealing of, of taking a story to screen is obviously something that's in your blood a bit. Yes, it's true. And plus being a camera operator, I was the had the privilege of looking through the viewfinder and, and despite all the lights and the ways they uh. cut the light and, and even the craft service table over there, I could see it unfold for the first time uh. through mm. the viewfinder. And so you get a sense of the visual, where you want to concentrate and what you what you want to see and what you don't want to see is, is just as important. So I applied that as well to my writing. And and then so there you 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 were with Berkeley and then now yes. you're, pub- you're publishing independently. So talk us through how that came about in particular, and maybe you could also um, after that maybe tell us a little bit about what it was like trying to get the rights back from your novels because okay. we've heard well, horror stories about this, not from <laughs> Berkeley, but but um, yeah. um well I you know I was with Berkeley actually it was a uh, acquiring or a development editor that helped me get the contract with Berkeley. Uh, and the inquiring editor loved, uh, and the, the publisher, Berkeley publisher, loved the first book. But then they were both laid off between book one and book two. Mm. So book two languished um, because there was nobody to champion it. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Didn't so have it just got no attention whatsoever, no marketing, nothing. So it, it uh, failed. Um, and then Berkeley was uh, uh, folded into Dutton Books, I believe. I can't remember, but Berkeley had lots of cozy mystery writers, and they called it the Great Cozy Killoff, I think, because they seventy or eighty percent of their cozy writers—I don't remember the exact uh, amount—and uh, uh, many of the writers in their stable, including me. So the I had finished the third in the series, and. Uh, my agent said, you can't sell number three in a series to someone else. So we, I started, I wrote a contemporary thriller, sort of like Steve Barry or um, Dan Brown. And then I wrote, uh, uh, let's see, another thriller. Um, and just, uh, you know, it was becoming more and more difficult for someone to sell a book for publishers to pick up new writers. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was languishing a bit. I was kind of uh, upset about, you know, disappointed and frustrated. And then I heard uh, this uh, Mark Dawson talk about uh, becoming an independent uh, author. Mm-hmm. And 
<clears throat> his words seemed to resonate at, and at the right time. I was at that point where I was finally terribly frustrated with uh, trying to find another traditional publishing deal uh, and trying to go through hoops and, and the dance that they require. They're always, they don't want what you write. They want what they think can sell. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I just, they said, try a domestic thriller and I'm just not a domestic thriller author. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. so yeah, I uh, listened to him and then started taking lots of courses and um, decided to bite the bullet. And book one and two, um, it was Ruins of War and Spoils of Victory at that time. Uh, they refused to listen to me. I would send letters and emails saying I would really like the rights back. I gave them the statistics of sales that it, it did fall within the contract <clears throat> that it drop uh, sales dropped to a certain point then um i could petition for my rights back but they wouldn't do anything so i actually hired a lawyer and then within the first letter from the lawyer bam they gave me the rights oh. back oh. oh isn't that interesting but, Just yeah. that, that you had that, that you had to go to that expense and mm -hmm. and and the, and the trauma because that must have been a really worrying time I, you can't basically this is your intellectual property and you you right you're having to fight for it Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I was, you know, once I got that back, then, you know, I was able to, I never really cared for the covers or the titles. They were a little bit too militaristic for my taste. Uh -huh. So I was able to uh, change the covers and the titles and start yeah. going. So, so John, at this point, then, you're, you're not just an author, um, you're a publisher as well. So mm. What else did that mean taking on board that um, Berkeley had previously done for you? Oh, okay. Well, the the advantage with tra traditional publishing, no doubt, is that they get your physical books in bookstores. Yeah. Uh, that is really difficult uh, for an independent author. Mm. Um, also, you have a certain cachet as a traditional published author where you can get um, book reviews from top bloggers. Um mm -hmm. I joined the International Thriller Writers, so um, I, Lee Child was a champion of mine, and Steve Barry. There were some very good authors uh, that mm. may not. It's not. I'm not necessarily sure this is fair, but it may not have gotten the, the attention if I'd been self-published. So those were really the things that Berkeley did that I couldn't do. Yeah. Um, they spent some money on the first book to put it in magazines, but. Everyone knows now it's that's just a, a shotgun technique for marketing. So the thing with Berkeley is there, and I think a lot of traditional publishers, uh, they're still in the old school way of marketing. Uh, Aren't they just? That's mm -hmm. so. We hear that a lot actually yes. from uh, our clients. It's in and and there seems to be also this. Um, we'll talk a bit more about marketing in a minute, but there seems to be this kind of idea almost that um, authors are expected even with traditional publishing contracts expected to do a lot more now it used yeah. to be that the you know it's kind of like the publishers still stuck in the dark ages and if you want to sort of like think about your online presence or other other sort of more innovative and creative ways of marketing that that's really got to come from you and so well, it does beg the question kind of where that leaves the author in you know unless you're someone huge like Stephen King right. um absolutely yeah yeah, right now it is, it's becoming, like films, unless it's a super big budget where they pour all their money into it, there are a lot of these independent films. 
Uh, the same with books, unless you midlist authors are uh, really having a tough time with publishers now. The publishers are searching for that new hit, so they're willing to take on debut authors and then pour a lot of money and effort into the ones that make them the money. But then the midlist authors are the ones that are kind of left in the dust. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, yes. for me. Uh, at being out of Berkeley, it it was up to me to do everything. <laughs> so uh, yeah. <clears throat> so um, let's talk a little bit more about your marketing strategy. I mean, one thing I noticed is that your website, <clears throat> that author, that sort of front end author platform, is gorgeous. But um, my yeah. my first question was, how do you get readers to it, and how do you engage with them once they're there? Well, the one creed that all of the successful independent authors have said is to get a mailing list and to get it uh, yeah. no matter how you can. So the big recommendation, first of all, was to write something like a novella or uh, a free novella or a f even a free book, your first in the series. Mm -hmm. Offer that for free uh, for anyone who signs up to your email list. And uh, the email list is probably the most important thing uh, when it comes to, to marketing. Um, so once you have, you it takes a while, but once you develop an email list with fans, you can have them be your ambassadors uh, and spread the word. Uh, the other thing, obviously, is uh, doing publicity on Facebook and Amazon and BookBub are the three main ones where you can do paid advertising. And it seems to be a reality that no matter who you are, at least with independent authors, is that uh, you do have to do paid advertising. It's the only way to get the, the your your name out there. Mm. Okay, it's interesting, John, what you said about um, writing um, something and giving it away for free um, mm -hmm. as part of your strategy. Because Louise and I were on uh, we were on a discussion table a couple of days ago with. Um, some other people in the publishing industry and some would-be authors and there was an author there who said the very same thing that it was only when she actually offered the first book in her series mm -hmm. for free that was when her sales really took off do you recall that Louise yeah that yeah, was, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and it seems counterintuitive doesn't it but it's obviously it's that sort of gateway to the rest of your writing right yeah and that works best, obviously, when you have at least four or five books, yeah. and even better if you have, say, eight, nine, or ten books out there. Um, the first one being free, then you hope that there's a read-through that they will then pick up two, three, four, five, and, and on. Yeah. So that offsets any uh, of the missed uh, um, income from, from book one. Um, because my series is uh, four books, it's not quite there yet. Right. I offer a prequel novella, and people seem to be quite happy with that. So. Yeah, I would certainly be happy with an, a prequel <laughs> novella because, like you say, it gives you a flavour of, you know, what's to come, and you know, you can start relating to characters and what have you. Yeah. And I think, yeah, this is a story that I want more of. One so of my other it. authors did that, um, mm -hmm. and he, uh, I fell in love with his writing because of his prequel and it was such a, it was it wasn't even a novella it was I would say it was like a it was maybe 10,000 words it was like okay. a, a short story but it, it it introduced that character for the first time and and I just thought I'm interested in this person I'm invested in him I want to read mm -hmm. more about him and um yeah so that's, that's yeah. a 
great strategy. I always remember reading uh, oh, years and years ago when I used to still buy a you know an actual print newspaper and I remember reading the first chapter of um, The Passage by Justin Cronin I don't know if either of you have read that I haven't, I haven't read it but you, you, <sighs> it was in the newspaper yeah it was in the newspaper oh. and it was the first chapter of it and it was before it had been published and I could not wait for that book to come out yeah. because oh. that first chapter I was just like I need to read the rest of it it was right up my street and it was um, you know post-apocalyptic well you know much like present day, really, but you know, it, um, it, you yeah. could just sense this big story being, you know, mm. foreshadowed, and it was just like, I can't wait to get into this. Yeah. And that, I thought, that was a really clever thing to do to mm. put the first chapter out. Yeah, and it yeah. also means, John, that when you've got a new book coming out, you've got your, you're, you're not publishing into to, to a field of crickets, are you? You've, you've already got that fan base who, are, who, who they're waiting for your, your yes. new book. So. Yes, it took a while. My the, the books sure. when I got the rights back, I didn't re-release them, repackage them, and re-release them until last July. Mm-hmm. So it, it does take some time to build up, but by now I'm starting to, to get a nice fan base. Um, and the, obviously the, the goal is to continue with that. Um, so it does help, yes. It absolutely helps to have an email list of a fan base that you can release to. Um, there are other techniques of trying to get some uh, a visibility um so but that one really helps that, that helps a lot yeah yeah so that's that's number one tip for our um listeners yeah, um, absolutely. authors out there get a mailing list yeah, yeah definitely. Your mailing it's list. the only thing you control and and that's what these these um, guys that i learned from have said is that amazon doesn't supply their email cust- uh, their customers emails and uh, they could do, they could change their algorithms or change things and leave authors out in the cold. Yeah. Uh, anything can happen out of your control. The only thing you really control um, is your email list. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's, in that's. Fact, we were talking to another um a colleague and author this morning who was uh who's just brought out a book on content marketing and that's the message you keep hearing over and over again you know like you know use your own land when you can because um you can't control facebook's algorithms you can't control what amazon are doing but you can control your own the space that you own so you're leaving this built on your website so yeah yeah and it's been a real pleasure to talk to um readers that will send me emails and talk about how much they love the book or oh. uh, even little pointers and things like that. I'm, I'm starting to build a, um, a beta reader group who will advance readers who will read the book before it comes out and they can um, make comments or um, yeah. have reviews ready to go when it's released on, on the bookstores. So yeah that all can, and that all contributes to that that audience yes. doesn't it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. what we do is actually the show notes is is do a little summary at the bottom of of your sort of these little key nuggets of advice that you're giving just as a reminder to people Great. that'd be really yeah. useful yeah so so john what would you say um have has been the biggest challenge um with self publishing and conversely what have you enjoyed the most about being your own publisher well, the most difficult is sort of what I've been talking about is visibility is yeah. the hardest thing. I don't know. I don't know the statistics, but they are frightening. <laughs> How many fiction books um, are published every month on Amazon? It's tens of thousands of uh, fire. Uh, yeah, it's and pretty horrifying. Are, yeah. 
Um, so you're extreme competition for visibility, and um, then you're competing with the other independent authors who have learned these techniques as well. So that's still the hardest thing, and trying to figure it all out. And and my, one of my weaknesses is um, advertising because it's still kind of a mysterious thing to me. Uh, how to get them to work? How to write ad copy? You're designing your own ads. You're your own advertising guy yeah and yeah, yeah. Learn, it's a lot to learn isn't it yes yeah and it can get expensive if you put out an ad and then nothing happens but they're still taking your money for the ad mm. uh it can be difficult so that uh, just getting visibility is is the biggest challenge mm -hmm. uh, but what i really enjoy is just having full control over my books yeah. uh, from the covers to the titles to uh, publishing them when I want. Uh, you uh -huh. know, there are, there are romance authors particularly that can publish a book once a month, and uh, I'm not that fast. But <laughs> no, most people the, aren't. But <laughs> the publisher, it takes anywhere from a you get a book deal. It's anywhere from well, twelve months to eighteen months before the yeah, book comes yeah. out. Yeah, um, it feels very slowly, don't they? Yeah. Yes. And I understand that they're trying to build buzz and all that stuff, um, uh, but you can do it much faster. And so that gives me the uh, flexibility to drop price, raise price when I want, do promotions. Um, those are some of the things you could, promotions you can do with a traditionally published book, but you have no control over price. Um, yeah. This way, I have control over everything. It's it's scary and overwhelming sometimes. <laughs> the learning curve is enormous, but uh, it's the rewards in the end uh, outweigh that. Oh, that's yeah. lovely to hear that you you feel that. Um, yes. uh, because I think that's one of the things that that's that's one of the things that an author who's thinking about embarking on your journey um, often what wonders about it's that kind of like, how am I going to deal with that overwhelm? And I guess, you know, like all these little nuggets that they can learn from people like you who've, who've already done it and set, mm. sat on both sides of the, the publishing fence, if you like, um, mm -hmm. they can, they can actually think, okay, well, one step at a time, there's this and there's right. this. Absolutely. And, and, My yeah. God, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because there are so many steps just to get in your own ISBN number to, uh, putting it up on uh, not only Amazon but the other stores. There just there's so many things to learn, and, and uh, invariably you're going to make a few mistakes, but then you just correct them and move on. But yeah. uh, so, um, John, one thing that Denise and I are always interested in asking because of the job we do, I guess, is is how how does it feel for you? during the editing process how does it feel to be edited does it give you the jitters or are you quite relaxed about it i mean you've you've, you've done it a few times now so um you know what was that was was the first time different did you did you sort of think oh my god what are they going to say or well yes absolutely the first couple of books before i got a traditional deal i wrote three or four books um and i would send them to a development developmental editor uh -huh. um, and the first book, I sent it to some editors that were substantially expensive and had good credits, but then they wanted to put their own voice on the manuscript and uh -huh. tell me what they hated. And it was it was kind of a nightmare. I didn't like that experience. Um, and I finally stumbled on someone who could, with very constructive criticism, without 
tearing me down or tearing the, the manuscript down, which I think is there's a talent to that. Yes, yeah, um, a balance definitely. Yeah. Yes. Um he I wrote a book that whenever it's one of the most riveting openings he's ever read, and I love your writing, but the rest of the story stinks. <laughs> so and Ooh. here's why. <laughs> um, and I agreed with everything he said, so that's when I sent him uh, Ruins of War, and he's the guy that helped me actually end up finding an agent. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it was nerve-wracking, especially the developmental edits, when I wasn't sure what I was doing. Now I'm pretty confident about uh, structure, um, and I love sending a book to a copy editor, line editor, and proofreader, because I know that they always will make a book much better, much, much better. So mm-hmm. make my prose sing, and I and, uh, don't have embarrassing typos. <laughs> but it, it really does make a difference. Uh, the, the hard part, I think, is just finding somebody that you really um, connect with, that you can have a, a nice relationship with, a, a creative relationship with, and that's that's a real... Because that's yeah. another thing, isn't it? I mean, the, it's a bit like when you were sort of uh, talking about it's a similar problem to the one of the 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 visibility in the market, and that it's it's vast. There are there are thousands of authors you're mm-hmm. in competition with, but there are also thousands of editors out there, and so yes. um, you know, it's it's just like it's a bit of a minefield, I think, when you first go into this, because it's like, well, who who am I gonna who am I gonna work with? How am I gonna find out if they're a good fit? You know. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, and when I that. first started looking, I didn't know any other authors. I was sort of in the dark. I sh- probably that's one thing I I should have done that I didn't is go to conventions, go to writing uh, thing, uh, meetings and conventions and that sort of thing to yeah. meet other mm-hmm. authors and not only get help um, uh, morale boosting, but help with finding people like editors. Uh, so I was shooting in the dark, and and uh, I missed a few times. It also sounds, John, like the the, the focus of your editing pr- process has perhaps shifted a bit over the years as you get more experience with your writing, and that perhaps earlier you needed that developmental support, yes. but now you say that structurally you're 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 okay, and and it's really the copy editing and proofreading to polish and refine your writing, and that kind of chimes with what. Um, Louise and I have said in previous episodes about recognizing and understanding where you need the support and it's not always the same um you know what mm. your your strengths and weaknesses are and it's mm. interesting that you've mm. seen that change through your through your writing um as you've got more under your belt yes yeah yeah true true so do you have any regrets at all or any advice that you know you would say to people don't do what I did do it this way any regrets well, uh, it's kind of a minefield. I kind of, I'm happy I got a traditional deal. I'm just regret trying to hold on to that traditional world longer than I needed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I kept writing books to please my agent and try and please publishers, and it was uh, this on a sort of a, a hamster wheel, you know, going around yeah. in circles and, yeah. and really spending way too much time trying to please and write to uh, traditionally uh, publishers market. Um, And I should have uh, reached or tried the uh, self-editing, self-publishing thing earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. Beyond that, no. uh, (laughs) There was a second part to that question. 
Um, yeah, any any advice? And oh, uh, the, um, yeah. Sorry, actually, yes. Um, everyone's different. If you really want a traditionally published, a traditional publisher, then go for it because there are advantages. Uh, it's extremely difficult to do. Um, but if that's it, important to you as a writer to get your books in bookstores and to have a certain cachet that, yes, I have an agent and uh, I've been traditionally published and then I would go for it. Um, but if you want to go self-publishing, you just have to know that you're in business for yourself, that you're creating a business. Um, so you have not only to write and put out a good product and frequently, uh, you have to learn all of the ins and outs of running a business. So if that's not, if you're not ready for that, then I would uh, go for or try for the tra traditional publishing deal. That's a really sound piece of advice. I yeah. think. I th and I think that's the part that people often do overlook with self-publishing is yeah. that you, you need a business head. And if you don't have one, you need somebody who can help you with that, I think. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there are um uh, there are the like the husband wife team where the 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 wife is writing the books and the husband is running the business or vice versa. They're doing yeah. one of the partners doing the ads, one is doing the writing and then they make a great team and they're able to put out more books that way because yeah. doing the marketing and trying to learn all of the stuff it takes up a lot of time too. Yeah. So. Yeah, being a publisher is not the same as being a writer, is it? So it's, no. it's, it requires a time, its own time to it. Yes, and different parts of the brain. So yeah, um, you mentioned before um that you were a member of uh of one of the associations, you know, the international thriller writers. Uh huh. Yeah, and uh, are you a member of any others? Um, uh, the Mystery Writers of America. Uh huh. So I'm I'm a member of those two. And do you find they help you? Are you are they in terms? Do you use online forums or or? Um, a bit, a bit. Um, I mean, international thriller writers really helped me quite a bit. And um, when I went there and actually met people who, just like um, whether they're traditional or self-published, authors seem to be very happy to help other authors uh, out reaching out. And so that is an invaluable thing for me was to meet people like Lee Child and, yeah. and uh, Steve Barry and people like that who would reach out or give advice or um, so, yeah, it was a, a really good experience and it, that was well worth it. And I, I used to do their thriller writers radio show and coordinated to help people, uh, get on the air mostly debut authors and so they they really help uh particularly debut authors so it's, it's a good organization mr writers of america i haven't been involved as much with with that organization okay mm -hmm. well we'll make sure both the links to those are in the in the notes anyway okay. um, can i ask you about um 
writing a series as opposed to standalone novels because I just ordered three more Mason Collins for my husband, a little <laughs> lockdown <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> little lockdown distraction for him during these weird virus times. Yeah. And um I love a series because precisely because I can immerse myself in another world. But what about you as the writer? Is having a character you can return to something that makes the story the story come easier for you? Or um what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, um, I started a series because I I love to read series. I like the familiarity of the main character and to see what the, the author can throw at them, what kind of situation, situations they get uh, wound up in. So I naturally enjoyed uh, and uh, gravitated towards series. And yes, in some ways, it's easier not inventing uh, a new main character in particular and all of his backstory. Um, the challenge, of course, is to keeping is keeping it fresh, uh, giving him new situations, different kinds of uh, conflicts, uh, so that you're not repeating mm-hmm. yourself. Um, but yes, I I definitely enjoy that, and it's and it's actually for a, a self-published author, it's certainly the best way to go um, for selling books. I'd say yeah. that because you can yeah. sell, you can, if you sell book one, then you can sell then book two, three, four. Um, standalones have a little different challenge. Um, so I, yeah. I definitely enjoy series. Great. So, so John, tell us what's on the horizon for you. Um, you know, where are appetites for what's to come? Well, ironically, we talked about series. My, I, have a st- I have a standalone. It's actually a book I wrote before. Uh, I wrote the Mason Collins as a post-World War II series. The mm-hmm. standalone is in the Beat Generation in San Francisco, so I'm hoping to get that out in early May. Right. And then I'm working on Mason Collins number five. There's no title yet. Uh, oh. and I already have a good idea of what I'm going to do with Mason Collins six. So Mason Collins five, I may be at the end of the summer if I'm lucky. And then six uh, sometime in the fall or winter. Excellent. Well, there you are, Louise. You can tell Johnny to look forward to that. I know. I know. That's <laughs> Christmas sorted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Very good. John, John, thank you so much. Uh, we'll make sure all yeah, the links really. are in the show notes um, so that readers know where to find you and your books. Um, but now it's time for Editing Bites. And this is the part of the show where we offer listeners a favourite tool or resource to help them on their writing journey. So this week, mine is a blog article by Joanna Penn on her um, website. And it's about video marketing for authors. Now, I think the first thought that people tend to have is to use video for a book trailer But this article goes well beyond that and gives you a lot more ideas on different ways of harnessing the power of video to promote your book. Joanna Penn, she's a bit like Mark Dawson. She's just full of good good advice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I actually discovered her quite a while ago while I was still searching for a traditional deal. She's an incredible website. She's a so no, full of resources, yeah. yeah. And and her own series as well. Her own oh, yes, um, yes. Yeah. So so my bite is um a video of, of Stephen King giving a masterclass at the University of Massachusetts in Lowell in um 2012. And there are lots of nuggets for fiction writers in this, but I particularly like his guidance on mastering observable behavior and how that helps authors to show non-viewpoint characters' emotions. So that's mm. my bite. 
Excellent. Thank you um, again to John. Thank you so much for your time. That's been absolutely fantastic. Um, That's it for this week. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Editing Podcast. You can rate, review and subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whichever platform you prefer. And we'll make sure that John Connell's um, all his information so you can get in touch with him and check out his books. um, That'll be in the show notes too. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.